and welcome to another episode of First Chair Fantasy. I'm Lucy and joining me in the second chair tonight is Alice White. Hello. Yes, and we are being all festive today. We are going to be discussing Terry Pratchett's Hogfather, but in a slight departure to the format that I've only established in one episode (laughs) so far. I've read the book, but you have watched the TV adaptation. Mm. So this is going to be quite exciting. Now, as, as your first challenge, you yes. need to read the blurb on the back of one of these because we have both the DVD and the book with us here. So, I would which like one to do you want to read? The book because okay, here we go. It may shed some light on something I didn't know. So, it's the night before Hogswatch and it's too quiet. Where is the big jolly fat man? Why is death creeping down chimneys and trying to say ho ho ho? The darkest night of the year is getting a lot darker. Susan the Gothic governess has got to sort it out by morning, otherwise there won't be a morning ever again. The 20th Discworld novel is a festive feast of darkness and death, but with jolly robins and tinsel too. As they say, you'd better watch out. Well, there we go. Um, in, in contrast to Elantris last month, um, much easier to pronounce everything yes. at the back of the book. <laughs> nice, nice short words. Yeah. <laughs> so, Ali, what did you think of The Hogfather? Yeah, that's um, that's not an easy question to answer, <laughs> unfortunately. Which, well, it's good, really, because we're going to have a discussion. But yeah, it's funny. Without reading the book, I can tell that I liked the story. Hmm but I didn't like the way it was told. And I don't know how I like the story because I haven't read the book, but there's just something about it I can tell I like, because I've never read a Terry Pratchett novel, I can tell I like his sense of humour. Yeah, yeah. That really comes through. And I like the character of Death. I thought he had some really good one-liners. But yeah... Mm. (laughs) We maybe say for a bit of context here that you are actually a professional film editor. Yeah, (laughs) well, I try to be. And and so you, you do have a unique insight onto how this adaptation wasn't great in a yeah, way. <laughs> yeah, it's um, it's funny. I very much was watching the editing and watching the cinematography and things like that. And although that doesn't get in the way of enjoying a film, it definitely now is something that I look out for and can kind of hamper a film if, if some of the edits are odd. And yeah. there are a lot of weird edits going on here. Because I think, um, as we said, a lot of reviewers of the adaptation said it's a very accurate mm. um, adaptation. And... In a way, it is. I mean, I personally don't like the adaptation anymore. I mean, I like it enough to own the DVD. <laughs> but it is this odd thing of what's suitable for narrative style in a book isn't necessarily suitable narrative style for a film. No. If you're trying to put it in a three-act structure, it just doesn't really work that way. No. And Pratchett doesn't tend to write in nice, easy three-act structures anyway. No. I get the sense he's not someone who conforms to... Well, to, conforming, you know, you know whatever. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny, I was looking through some IMDb reviews like just now, and so many of them are all 8, 9, 10 out of 10. Um, a lot of them saying they're Terry Pratchett fans, and it's a really faithful adaptation. So I'm kind of struggling, because I, as I say, I know I like the story, but I don't like the way yeah. it was told. So maybe I don't like the story? Well, maybe we should start with the story. What, what, yeah. what according to the adaptation, is the story of The Hogfather? Yes, well, this is... Um, this is I think there were some things that weren't particularly clear, but just from my understanding of it, um, the Hogfather has mysteriously vanished, mm. and Death discovers this and thinks, we can't let the belief in him die on Christmas Eve. The Hogswatch Eve. Hogswatch Eve, sorry. Completely irrelevant to Christmas. Yes. <laughs> just happens to star a, a big fat bloke in a red yeah. suit. <laughs> At the winter time, they get yeah. presents. Um, so yeah, we mustn't let the children's faith and belief in Father Christmas, uh, sorry, Hogfather, <laughs> die 
Um, so Death steps in and delivers the presents on his behalf. Um, in the meantime, his granddaughter Susan is trying to figure out where the Hogfather has gone and realises that nasty Mr. Teatime... I don't care how you pronounce it. It's either tea time or Teatime. Yeah, let's be tea time. He doesn't deserve our respect. No. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Tea Time, horrible Mr. Tea Time, is trying to destroy children's belief in sort of fairy tale characters... Uh, because the auditors have commissioned him to do yes, so. Yes, so what what did you think of the auditors? Um, what were they? The, yeah, the auditors, I got the feeling they are sort of outside of time and space in a way. Mm. They're sort of gods, but not gods. Yeah. Not, not people that we should put our faith in. They're more just sort of the administrators of... That's it, yeah, and I, I seem to remember thinking when I watched the adaptation that they didn't explain the auditors very mm. well. There also wasn't a really good representation of the auditors, because oh, okay. the auditors are meant to be absolutely identical. They always come in threes, mm-hmm. and in, for some reason in the adaptation there were four of them. Yeah, um, four. <laughs> That's weird. So in, in, the rules of the auditors are, they always come in threes, and they never die by never living. So okay. they don't... They, how they ensure their own immortality is by never having a personality... I think they do touch on that, don't yeah, they, in the adaptation? Yeah, but I yeah. felt in the adaptation they had each one had a different accent. They should have all been identical and had the same voice, Aww. but instead there was like a tall one and a short one. <laughs> yeah, maybe they felt like they had to separate them yeah. for some reason. Maybe it would have been too weird if there were three identical people. I, don't, I mean, I don't know, maybe. I mean, even in, in the books themselves, they're kind of set out as being a bit strange by anything they say in The Hogfather doesn't have speech marks around it, because oh, really? it's like... They, they they don't speak, they just make it so they have spoken. Okay, so people <laughs> hear directly yeah. in their brains. Yeah, they sort of just they remember that speech happened oh, okay. rather than them actually speaking, so they never have speech marks. I can imagine that would be quite hard to get across. I, I, yeah, I can film. imagine, but um, but it, it's just little little things like that. I, 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 as you can probably tell, I wasn't a fan of how the auditors were yeah. described. Me. But yes, you're right, the auditors are the administration of the universe, they are the paperwork, mm. they are the missing 90% of the universe <laughs> that keeps an eye on the rest of it. <laughs> I like the concept a lot, yeah. you know, that um, the fact that there are people, if you can call them people, the beings who are sort of just keeping things ticking over. Yeah. Um, but I like that they weren't sort of it wasn't clear whether they had good or bad motives they just said this is what needs to happen yeah and obviously from our point of view killing the hog father is a nasty thing to do but they seem very much just sort of matter of fact you yeah. know this is what has to happen and um so i did like that about yeah. them um but yeah it wasn't it wasn't particularly clear yeah. did you get from motives. the adaptation why they wanted to kill the hog father no no not at all <laughs> no i mean whether that's just my memory failing me or whether but no, all I remember is they go to that to someone's office where tea, tea time is there mm-hmm. and they just go, he needs to die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the reason they're trying to kill the Hogfather, this, is, mm-hmm. this probably could be what, the most, what this uh, episode is mostly, is me filling in holes. Yes, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but the reason they want to kill the Hogfather is that um, they want to rid the world of everything that's not logical. Okay. It's like, so human beings, particularly in the world of the Discworld, where you know the narrative of stories is actually a physical force in the universe human beings are more or less made up of things that aren't logical you know they believe in all kinds of daft things like truth and justice and um (laughs) mercy mercy and stuff like that so the the auditor's plan is to stop people believing in the hog father and then gradually i guess move on to making them stop believing in everything else that doesn't 
workout. Um, and by doing this, they hope to be able to make the universe accountable for everything, like just to be able to count everything. <laughs> and they do actually return in the next Death Sword story and have oh. another crack at doing oh, really? it. Yeah, because one of the questions that then arises from knowing that is why now? Yeah. You know, I guess because it's convenient for the story, you know, yeah. to have it happen around Hogswatch. So. Also, in the book, Hogswatch is the thinnest time of year it's oh. like um because of the nature of the disc world and it's very very magical it runs on magic and stories Hogswatch is the time where bad things can happen they can get oh, in so it's like it's it's if it was going to happen anywhere and if their first attack was going to be anywhere mm. it was going to be Hogswatch see again that's yeah. not really explained <laughs> I mean I, I get that that's kind of on the periphery of the plot yeah. you know it's not that important to explain it but uh, the more I understand, the more questions I have, and that's one of them. So, um, so okay. So the auditors want to get rid of Hogfather, yes. and they hire Tia Time, mm-hmm. Tea Time, <laughs> to do so. What happens next? Um, well, um, it all ha- kind of happened very quickly. There's a lot. There's a very odd pacing in the adaptation where you go from one scene to another to another and you're bouncing between these three or four settings a lot and so my brain at this point kind of got into a bit of a scramble but I remember he heads towards the Tooth Fairies Kingdom Mm -hmm. which is above the Hidden University but I don't quite remember oh he goes he seeks out these men in the pub doesn't he yeah um I've forgotten their names now uh Um, there is Chicken Wire Chicken Wire (laughs) Medium Dave Banjo and uh, Mr. Sydney, yes. Oh, and the Mr. Brown as well. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So he, yeah, he finds them in the pub and yeah. recruits them. Is that right? If well, I think he's meant to have met them in the pub. You know, mm-hmm. he knows people, and um, Median Dave, Chicken Wire, and Banjo particularly are kind of old hands in the Ankh-Morpork criminal <laughs> underworld. Um, Banjo is just this kind of big slightly dumb doofus i really who, liked yeah <laughs> who believes in he's he's a child in a very large grown man's <laughs> body um and he just follows his brother medium dave around the reason he's called medium dave by the mm. way is because there's kind of like an actor's guild thing in um thieves in ankh pork they can't have the same name oh. uh, so there was already a small dave and a big dave so oh. yeah. <laughs> he had to be a medium <laughs> dave <laughs> And uh, Chicken Wire is so called because his uh, his one genius contribution to the act of thievery and random murder was to wrap the bodies in chicken wire before throwing them in the river so oh. the bits don't fall off. That's very nice. Yeah. Well, you know. You... <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's, yeah. I, I think this is, this is something I noticed about it. They tried to very much childify the adaptation. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know if you could have picked that up because you've not read the book, but... No. Well, it yeah, it seemed like a really yeah. family-friendly romp, you know, so... Yeah, but I mean, the book is all about death and blood and Mm. the old ways of doing things and the fact that all the old myths are sooner or later as it says in the book about blood (laughs) they do start with that line and they did give it sort of a dark tone at the beginning but um i kind of had forgotten all about that until the very end of the second half and i was Mm. like oh yeah the blood thing (laughs) um um, so yeah so yeah the team gets together in the pub yes and he goes after the Tooth Fairy. Yeah. Well, he's not after the Tooth Fairy per se, he's after the teeth, isn't he? Because mm. if someone possesses some hair or teeth or clippings... Yeah, then clippings. They, they, <laughs> Various body clippings. Then they can... Is it just control you or control yeah. your beliefs? or Control the people, I think. It's like yeah. it, it, it's the Discworld version of kind of voodoo, I guess. Yeah. 
Um, Which is fine. That makes yeah, sense. yeah, that's fine. Yeah, um, I think my issue in the adaptation, maybe it's the same in the book, is that you see a lot of the unseen. Uh, it's the unseen. Unseen university. university yeah, uh, you see a lot of it intercut almost from the beginning, um, but it's not until about two two thirds through the first half mm. that you really actually get the relevance of yeah, why yeah. we're seeing these men, and they reveal that if you have the teeth of yeah, someone, yeah. you can control them. Um, so. You see quite a lot of tea time trying to get the teeth, yeah. uh, a lot of the university, before you actually understand the motives. And that, for me, would have made understanding the story a lot mm. easier if they'd have revealed that earlier on. See, it's odd, because I found... I remember the first time I read the book, I didn't get what tea time was trying to do until mm-hmm. quite a long way in. I think um, Pratchett really did try to keep this one under wraps. Like reading it When you reread it, all the information is there. Yeah, um, but you don't necessarily you don't, know. Yeah, to look but you, for it. you don't know what you're looking at at the time. Um, so I think he was quite clever there. But yeah, the first read through, it took me a long time to figure out what was going on mm. and why all these people were doing the things they were doing and acting the way they were acting. Mm. Um, but I can see that that that's fine for a book. You kind of expect that from a book. And actually, I love the first time I read a, I read a fantasy novel and like random words have capitals for no apparent reason and people are just doing amazing things with no description of why <laughs> or how and then it's not until later that you slowly get the reveal of what's going on. I love that. But I'm not sure it works too well for a kid's film because they no. very much tried to kiddify this adaptation, mm. I think. Yeah, it's, it's funny. With a book, I think you're in it for the long run mm. with a book. You pick up a novel and you know it's going to be 10, 12 hours of your life and you're willing to commit that. Mm. But with a film, because you know already it's only two hours instead of 12, you have to compact it, you have to reorder it to an extent mm-hmm. to make it work. And um, yeah, I felt like that was... If they'd have just changed that, I think it would have mm. improved it a lot, just making it clearer from the start. And especially if it's aimed at a younger audience, yeah. I really don't think people you know, 10, 12 years old mm-hmm. would have got it, yeah. really. I mean, I don't know how well it actually did when it was out. I mean, this mm. was, was um, 2006, this adaptation. It was straight to TV, wasn't it? It was, yeah, yeah. Sky One. Um, I watched it at the time, and mm-hmm. I have to say I enjoyed it, because some of the stuff in here is really good. Yeah. Like, I, qu- I quite enjoyed um, Michelle Doherty's... Um, uh, sort of uh, portrayal of Susan. I really enjoyed Susan. Yeah. Although I think good. at some points she gets, I, I don't know if the actress got tired. I really. <laughs> There's just a few line deliveries where I'm like, why would Susan say that? And then I kind of realised it was because they were trying to get through, uh, get across aspects that might have been like an in internal monologue in the book. Mm. And you know, Susan's not the type to say X or Y. She's she's the ultimate stoic. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's like so. If she were to act the way she does in the book, it yeah. may have been a bit stone Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you I mean we all know that um, she'll, I'm probably not pronouncing her name right now. Oh, like, um, Doc, Doc- Doherty, Doherty. Yeah. Uh, anyway, she, the wonderful person yep. she is. <laughs> uh, we, we all know that she can act a damn good haughty noble woman. Yes, because <laughs> <laughs> down to that, down to that yeah. bit, which I guess must have started like. This. Four years or so, yeah. three or four years after this. So it, I don't know what she did in between times, um, but we know that she can pull off that act quite mm. well. And I think maybe because I guess it's not made clear in the adaptation that Susan actually is nobility. No, it's no. I, I just thought she was an au pair for some children, and yeah. obviously it turns out she's the grandfather of death. 
But daughter of death. Sorry, grandfather. <laughs> what did I say? Grandfather. <laughs> the grandfather yeah. of death. Death is the grandfather of her. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't get any sense that she was anyone special as a mm. human, only in the sense yeah. of that she's related to death. It is a sort of odd thing of, this is Susan's second book appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, her first book appearance was as a teenager when rock and roll music invaded the Discworld. Oh, um, cool. <laughs> Which I've also got an adaptation of. I have the uh, animated adaptation oh, that of that. Oh, sounds awesome. Um, when she gets, uh, she ends up following the um, rock, rock star Bud E. Selin around, <laughs> which translates as Bud of the Holly. Ah, uh, <laughs> very clever. <cool. laughs> um, but of course, most of her backstory is in that book. Mm-hmm. And it kind of goes all the way back to the earlier death books of Mort, when he takes on an apprentice and he adopts a daughter. And they fall in love and they have a child, and that's Susan. Um, but when they return to the world, Mort and Isabel, Death's daughter, become the Duke and Duchess of uh, Stohelet, which is oh, this city okay. on the pl- in, in Discworld. Um, and then they, they die before the events of soul music. So technically, Susan is a duchess. And she's yeah. just sort of... You know, her, her father was good enough at setting up and running estates that they more or less run themselves. Mm. Um, so... A lot of her character arc throughout the three books that she appears in is her trying to find her own way in the world when she's not completely human. Okay. Because uh, <laughs> they, t- they, yeah, they do explain the, the fact that Death adopted her mother, yeah. but I don't think they ever mention that she's a duchess. Whether they maybe change the character, do you think? Maybe. I mean, I guess it would have been quite a lot of backstory to fit in mm. when, yes, clearly she's a governess. In a way, it's kind of irrelevant, yeah. isn't yeah. it, to, the, to this specific story yeah i guess you take it as a standalone but um it was just the the tiny little things that annoyed me like her saying that she grew up in death's house which she didn't because her parents were quite strict about that they didn't want her getting involved with her grandfather which is kind of why she's so reluctant to let them back in at the start of the story like she's very clear, like, I don't want the raven back in my life. I don't want, I, you know, death of rats, leave it alone. <laughs> it's, it, it's weird then. I mean, why change those tiny details when I it guess doesn't really impact the story? I guess to make it, uh, just simplify it a bit, I suppose. Yeah. Not have to explain the backstory. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I liked I liked that version of Susan. Yes, was, yeah, and I loved her hair. Yeah. It was really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it weird kind of just moves on its own. And yeah, it's awesome, <laughs> and then that bit streak of yeah, black. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, yeah, and then, where were we? Um, um, so, <laughs> tea time's gone for the tea. Yeah. Um, yeah, it wasn't revealed, as I said, early enough, I don't think, that his motives. But... When he did finally get the teeth and he got um, Nigel Planer's character to cast the spell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite sort of haphazardly. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Mr. Sydney. Um, <laughs> there was never a sense of them having actually achieved control of the children. I know that belief was dying mm. in Hogfather, but there was never a moment where you see children at home and mm. they all of a sudden have lost their faith in the Hogfather. Well, there's the moment where the two kids... That- um, Susan looks after mm-hmm. come and they think the Hogfather's come down the chimney and it turns out it's their dad in a red cape yes that's kind of the closest thing you get to it, it. is but I felt that was more just related to them seeing their dad yeah. rather than the fact their teeth might have been yeah under control it's, it's an odd one because in the book you get the sense that things aren't necessarily happening in the same order that you're seeing them oh okay um, because faith in the Hogfather starts to die 
before you see tea time go to the tooth fairy's realm in the book. Okay. But at the same time, you know, it's this odd thing of Discworld of time isn't necessarily important in it because most of the book takes place in frozen time Mm -hmm. um, because Susan stops time and she doesn't start it again until way later in the book. Oh, really? So she does a huge chunk of the book in, like... No time, you yeah. know, because that's one of her powers. She can, yeah, walk, she, she can does, live outside of time. She does stop time briefly. And I know in the adaptation, everything kind of continues yeah. on and the world is still ticking around her. Mm. Um, so it's like, it's this weird thing of, they show like the the, the two children she's looking after, Gwen and, Tri- and Twyla, like mm. um, <laughs> finding out that the Hogfather's not real and it's all very sad and everything. In the book, there's no time for that to happen in. It's like she doesn't yeah. come back until the, until she's ready to let time go forward Mm. um and yeah so it's it's an interesting idea like they they, it's odd what they changed i think Mm. and yeah and yeah i don't remember there ever being a big moment in the book where it's like the magic is working look at the amazing magic circle no it Um, was never made clear yeah because they Um, keep saying things like it's magic so old it's not even really magic anymore mm. um yeah yeah I, i mean but whether it's because i'm too sort of spoiled by Hollywood and big budgets but you kind of expect to see some sort of shot of all these children you know different shots around the world of children in their bedrooms <laughs> somehow shedding a tear because yeah. of father or something and, and some big impact but there was never a sense of the spell mm. was working and the focus more was on opening the door really yeah. than controlling the children yeah the opening the door thing yeah I felt like it was a bit of a, of a MacGuffin yeah. put in there to sort of distract the audience for some reason it's not made quite as I mean, it is, it is a thing in the book that it's like, we have to open the door. Mm. But it's made very clear in the book, I feel, that um, Tea Time only wants to open the door because he can't abide a locked door. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, yeah, which is a fair enough yeah, motive. Yeah. You know, if you see a big door with big locks on it, you think, oh, what's behind there? Yeah. So it's understandable that he'd want to get it open, but it kind of became the focus of being there yeah. rather than the teeth. And yeah, I, yeah. that kind of confused me. Especially because what they found... You know, once um, yeah. once death is there, no, it was Susan, wasn't Susan, it? Yeah, because death can't go there. to the tooth fairy's yeah. country because it only contains things that children believe, believe in. Believe in, yeah. So yeah, once Susan's there, it's it's not even what you expect it to be, and mm. the whole thing felt a bit pointless. Um, it's a little better done in the book, mm. I would say. I is mean, it given less importance in the like less it's, time? Um, I mean, yeah, it's just kind of something that's happening in the background, like mm. occasionally. They'll just make mention of Mr. Brown can't open next door, and they have they do have a moment where um, you know Mr. Brown just gives up, and then Tea Time chucks him down the stairs. And oh, poor Mr. Brown. Yeah, poor Mr. Brown. <laughs> I don't think he was a very nice man. It's fine. <laughs> and then of course they have the moment where Sydney figures out how to open the door and mm. finishes it all off. Um, and then of course you know, there is the bit of Susan goes in and finds out what's on the other side. Uh, but it's it is kind of it's not it's not such so much the climax. Of mm. everything as it appears to be in the adaptation. No, but um, yeah, I guess they had to find a big exciting moment in that part of the story. Yeah, maybe a, maybe a side effect of having to split the story into two parts. I don't Perhaps, know. Perhaps, yeah, there was sort of a beginning, middle, and end of each half, mm. which kind of made it a bit weird. If you were to watch it back to back, I don't think it would mm. feel like a typical three act structure. Um, but like you say, Terry Pratchett doesn't really no. do three act <laughs> structures anyway. Um, yeah, I really liked um, Tea Time. 
Yes. Like, I mean, I hated him, obviously. He was horrible. Yeah. But I liked hating him. He yes. was a good character yeah, yeah. to hate. Mark Warren, very yeah. good actor for that. I mean, is his He's voice not... described like that? Yeah, but actually, I have to say, it is. Mm-hmm. It's almost, it's a brilliant version of tea time yeah but it's not what i had in my head oddly because he's kind of described as looking like a baby doll almost as like having you know perfect smile and perfect teeth but Mm -hmm. also having one glass eye and the other eye is like a a, a pinhole pupil it's cool um and yeah and then he just he he doesn't see the world like other people as he says repeatedly (laughs) (laughs) and um but yeah i thought it was a really a really good version of tea time Mm. and he's suitably horrible (laughs) but at the same time smiles the whole time that (laughs) makes him more terrifying because you really can't read him what he's going to do next and the fact that he's always saying like we're friends yeah i'm your friend and oh it's quite creepy um i just love the line that that i think they i think they put this line wholesale into the adaptation it's like i don't have many friends i don't have the knack but i don't have any enemies at all isn't that nice (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah, that was really good yeah it was very sinister um so yeah after they get the teeth uh susan comes in sees the bogeyman bogeyman i'm never sure it's boogeyman or no bogeyman i think (laughs) um yeah yeah. this this is the grand twist of it all isn't it that the, the tooth fairy yes it's a franchise operation but the original tooth fairy <laughs> the original tooth fairy was actually a bogeyman who, who got to. fed up of scaring the kids yeah which i like yeah. i like that and decided to try and protect them instead yeah. so he collected all their teeth together so nobody could control them didn't collect their hair and their teeth no only their teeth uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no i liked that that was yeah. a good twist um i thought it was very sad that he died she yeah, died it, it died, died. Yeah. <laughs> it was very old i guess it was yeah um also i i got very confused at this point because susan had her friend with her is it Bil- Bil- bilious 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 the old god of hangouts yes <laughs> who she found at the bone the castle of the castle bones, of bones yeah. <laughs> where the hogfather was expected to yes. have been but wasn't um now bilious sort of just seemed to be along for the ride. He didn't seem to contribute. Well, much. that that is kind of Bilius's character. Um, mm. He only exists because one of the wizards mentioned that if you have a god of wine, why don't you have a god of hangovers? <laughs> um, because this is this is why the wizards are in the story. Is because they're they're kind of you know magical presence, as it were, on the thinnest night of the year when there's a hell of a lot of excess kind of belief yeah. sloshing about. Means that anything they say comes into existence. <laughs> so it starts with the Veruca gnome. Yes, <laughs> and then we move on to the eater of socks. So I think the, mm-hmm. the eater of socks is in there. Yeah, he's like some weird. But you, there is also the eater gremlin. of pencils um, oh, really? in the book. Um, and then they can end, they end up with the cheerful fairy, which I don't know. I don't think she's no, in the adaptation. She's not in it. Um, they they end up accidentally creating the cheerful fairy, who looks like everybody's least favourite primary school teacher basically the one the one who was always clapping and had a whistle um you know way just, too just wanted to jolly everything everything along and why can't everyone just be happy and we'll all have a jolly good time and she basically makes the wizards miserable for a good chunk of the book i'm kind of glad that wasn't yeah. um but yes and we also have bilious the old god of hangovers yeah i mean his existence makes sense yeah but his his importance to the story in a story that is is structured in such a way in the adaptation where it's flitting from one thing to another and there's so much to take in. It just seemed like another thing mm. that was sort of just confusing yeah. things. And I understand that he's in the book and it wants to be a faithful adaptation, yeah. but at the same time, I felt he was given a lot of screen time yeah. but didn't 
do anything. I think in the book, I mean, he's he's funny. He's a good character in mm. the book, and he has his he has a little character arc of his own, which I can't remember if that, actually any of that is apparent in the adaptation. Well, he sort of strikes up a relationship with the tooth fairy, yes. one of the tooth fairies, and they end up living in the. Or he helps yeah, or something. Kind of, um, but, it's, <laughs> but um, it's, he ha- he has some very funny moments in the book, like when he gets cured of hangovers, <laughs> and that means that the god of wine gets the hangover, like the hangover cure reaction. Okay, he's like he gets the hangovers from the god of wine's drinking. So yeah. when if he drinks a hangover cure, the god of wine gets the reaction. <laughs> and it's just this great fun moment where he's watching this through a crystal ball and just screaming. At the- <laughs> Because it's like, how do you like it? <laughs> and the taste of yeah. your own medicine. Um, and yeah, but the, for the most part in the book, I think he's just there so Susan can explain things to someone. Right. Okay. So um, he's almost like the the point of view of the yeah, reader. In because a way. he's only, you know, he he's he, Susan finds him when he's a couple of minutes old. He's only <laughs> he's only existed for a few minutes, <laughs> and she pulls him out of a, a castle vice that's collapsing around him. Um, so yeah, he he knows nothing. Mm-hmm. He literally knows nothing. He says things like, "I know that trees have brown bits at the bottom and green bits on top," but, but he doesn't really kind of have any specific knowledge about the world. Oh, so yeah, he's literally there so Susan can be all stoic and have someone to look after and mm. someone to explain things to. Um, That's fair enough. I mean, in the book, it probably serves a really good purpose. And he is funny in the book. He's he's com- he's good comic relief. Mm-hmm. When Susan doesn't really do comic relief, you know, she's no. Comic, comic, comedy is something that happens around her rather than to her. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like that about her. I like that yeah. she was sort of no nonsense and yeah. got straight to the point. She was cool. Um, but yeah, she kicks, tea, it pushes tea time, tea time, tea time tea, off the balcony. Off the balcony, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, doesn't she? Um, and this was another thing that wasn't completely made clear because mm. he falls through into the Unseen University. It's the thing is and yeah i guess it wasn't maybe it wasn't entirely made clear in the adaptation because you see it very a lot at the start mm. um but because the tooth fairy's world only contains things that children believe in it doesn't um, they don't, children don't understand death they just understand that you go somewhere else that you're mm. not here anymore so when people die in the Tooth Fairy's world, they just go somewhere else. Okay. Because, um, of course, there are lots of Tooth Fairy minions yes, sort yeah, of yeah, killed. Just, in... And they were all landing on the Unseen University. Yeah. And of course, it's because the Unseen University is a massive, magical sort of nexus. And so it's a thin place. So if something's going to happen, it's going to happen in the Unseen <laughs> University. Um, but, yeah, so Tea Time kind of falls... But he just kind of lands in the Unseen University. Mm. But he's not technically dead. Because you can't die <laughs> yeah. from the Tooth Fairy's kingdom. Yeah, it was... Um, I mean, I just assumed it was because the Tooth Fairy's kingdom was above the Unseen University. So yeah, you fall no, down and you end up below it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of elsewhere, I think. Yeah, I, I quite liked um, the visualisation of the outside of the Tooth Fairy's castle when it looks like a kid's painting yes um literally like it's a big blue sky and a big green grass and all the trees have big red apples in them. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like it was one of those moments in the book when i read it and, you know, the description of the, the the picture that every child draws mm. it was one of those moments where i was like i thought i was the only one who thought that you know yeah. i love when you find that moment in a book and the difference is is that in the book it makes a very big point of the gap between the sky and the earth 
Like whenever you, whenever kids draw, they draw a blue line at the top for the sky and a yeah. green line at the bottom for the ground, and there's a big white gap in the middle, oh. and that gap exists in the Tooth Fairy world, and it's like um. It's amazing because every character just keeps going, just don't look at the sky, just don't look at the sky. Why is the sun underneath the sky? (laughs) But I think in order to make the adaptation, they made it a little bit more realistic and the sky and ground actually meet and it kind of looks a little bit more sensible mm. but i do quite like the uh, the look of the painted world and it was yeah. very cool actually it was well done yeah. it um although it was nine years ago the adaptation yeah. it hasn't dated in terms of effects yeah. and things uh, it wasn't entirely i when she just looks at the painting and yeah. then goes into the painting i just was like what <laughs> yes yeah yeah it's um again it's internal monologue i think that's something mm. an, any adaptation is always going to lose you you lose what the characters are thinking unless yeah unless you're going to go for something very cheesy like uh, voiceovers mm. and stuff which but just, the voiceover they had was really good because yeah. um i mean it was the same actor that played death but what it was the voiceover of death, i think so yeah yeah, yeah. i thought they that put an effect nicely. on it for them. yeah i thought that worked really well um I, it, it did play out a bit more like a stage play. Mm. It really made me think of a stage play. You could imagine the narrator was to one side mm-hmm. on the left, and then the, I imagine the auditors were sort of on stage right. And yeah, then, yeah. you know, at the end of every chapter, they'd have a little sort of, you know, joke or something yeah. to say. I um, now really want to see a Hogfather stage play. That yeah, that would be, <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a hell of a job. Yeah, um, yeah it, it did feel more like a stage play in that sense. Um, yeah, but yeah. So get to the end of the. I mean, there's plenty in the middle that we've not spoken there about yet. There is plenty. Yeah. But um, just the last point of Susan saving the Hog Father at the end. So you think it's yeah. all happy do lally and everything's wonderful and everyone goes back home, and then it turns out that it's not. Yes. Yeah. Um, so death all of a sudden seems to know where the Hog Father is, <laughs> and it's only since talking to you that I've seemed to sort of have a vague understanding yeah. of how that is, and it's because he he knows where everyone is. Yes. And it's only because the Hog Father, there's a tiny bit of faith left in him. Yeah, yeah. He's managed to come back in sort of proto-Hog Father yeah. <laughs> form. And, just... and proto-Hog Father form is a giant hairy pig. Yes, of yeah. course. <laughs> so... There, there's not a moment in the adaptation where Death goes, ah, I finally know where he is. Mm. All, he just shows up and goes to Susan, look, you're coming with me, we're yeah. going to go get the Hogfather. And so I thought, well, why didn't you do that at the start? Well, yeah. You know, there, It was never made clear that he didn't know, and now he does mm. know. Um, but anyway, they, they fly off on his magic horse. Um, Pinky. Yeah. <laughs> and they find the Hogfather running away from the wolves in the forest. Yeah. Um, and... Death says to Susan it's something that only humans... It's a human matter. Yeah. So Death can't get involved. So human jumps down onto his back. I'm not sure how this is helping him. Yeah. If anything, it's just adding extra weight. And he's going to run slower from the walls. <laughs> but anyway, she's helping him. And they clear like a, a, a jump, don't mm-hmm. they, over to a canyon. And the wolves turn out to be the auditors who yeah. are chasing him. Um, because this is it. You know, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. the moment they can finally kill him. And she manages to fend off one of the wolves and hits it down into the canyon. Yeah, kill yeah. Well, can you kill an auditor? Well, that's kind of the whole point of yeah, this final yeah. sequence, isn't it? it it's is. like the auditors, because they were losing, because mm. the, the, the teeth were rescued and tea time is done, dealt with, um, they, they, they took the risk to kind of took on, take on living forms. Like yes. they broke their own 
rules. Which means they can die. Because they, they believe that in order, if, if you live, you have to die. Yes. Like, normally it happens instantly. It's the moment, <laughs> the moment one of them says, uses the word I, they just explode. I really yeah. That's a tough, yeah. that's a tough thing to maintain. Um, so yeah, I guess she kills one of them then yeah. by batting him down into the canyon. And at which point death rocks up because mm. now they're living he can yeah. kill them and yeah, yeah they all die and she's saved the hog father but um in the process he's well he's he, there's blood on the snow I but mean, that's 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 the weird thing isn't it he he dies in big inverted commas yeah but that was the point all along in a strange way because it's the blood on the snow that brings the sun back yeah <laughs> and this is another thing that confused me <laughs> so much confusion um because Death then explains that the sun was always going to rise, yeah. but in a metaphorical way, the sun wouldn't have risen. So I'm thinking that it was more like humanity would have been a bit less human. Mm. Like we would have lost some faith and although the sun would have risen, we wouldn't really have felt its warmth. Like yeah. the, the world would have been a darker place. I think that's a pretty good way of doing yeah. it, putting it. I think um, death's exact words are something like, the sun wouldn't have ris- risen, a mere ball of gas would have illuminated the world. Yeah. <laughs> At which point I was like, what? <laughs> I think that's the same thing. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't know whether I'm just really bad at tapping into like, Terry Pratchett's mind and the way he thinks and the way he portrays things or whether it's not you know whether the adaptation is not doing a good mm. enough job um, I think it's probably a bit of both yeah um, I mean you shouldn't always assume the audience of your film has to have prior knowledge mm, mm. I always think a film should be I would say this this adaptation doesn't assume that at all like I, I think the reason they started with the Hogfather because mm. there's now been three of these kind of styles adaptations of mm. um, Terry Pratchett novels I think the reason they started with The Hogfather is it's such an obvious allegory to Father Christmas and yeah. Chris- and the solstice and old pagan solstice beliefs that it doesn't need that much explanation no true and but I do feel like the little explanation it did need it wasn't made yeah. clear and you do have to make it crystal clear to sort of base the whole understanding yeah, yeah. of the story on um, so I mean it wasn't even made clear that at the end that the hog father was dead I mean there mm. was blood on the snow and Susan cried but he could have just broken his nose yeah. <laughs> he could have woken up and gone oh I'm alright that was something I thought was odd about this they seem to avoid for a, for a film that stars death and the granddaughter of death mm. it avoided the word death an awful lot <laughs> like there was a more moment earlier in the adaptation where Death is trying to explain to Susan what's happening, well, whilst not explaining to her what's happening, because mm. he's like that. Um, and he says that Hogfather is gone. That's like yes. the best word he can come up with. In the book, it says dead. See, yeah, <laughs> this was, th- I mean, this is right at the start. And yeah. that started off the confusion, because I thought the Hogfather had run away. Mm. I thought he was trying not to be found. Um, I didn't realise that he was fading away due to lack of belief. I mean, yeah. they did say that belief was fading, but they didn't ever connect mm-hmm. the two. Um, so again, whether that's just because I'm not it tapped into the Pratchett way of thinking. Well, no, it's interesting know. because, as you say, they shouldn't have assumed that... I guess you can make mm. maybe certain assumptions that the majority of your audience are going to be Pratchett fans if you Probably. make a Pratchett adaptation. But at the same time, you, should, you shouldn't create a 20-book jump on point like you shouldn't have had to have read 20 novels to be able to enjoy no. a film adaptation <laughs> no definitely not um, um yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a shame because I really wanted to like it and in a way I did like it mm. I enjoyed it I never 
at any point thought, oh, what's the time? And, yeah, you know, yeah. or I want to turn it off. I, I enjoyed the ride, but it was hard to take anything away from it. Yeah. Um, and I really wanted to take something away yeah. from it. I wanted to have understood more about the Pratchett world, yeah. the disc world, and the characters. And in the end, I had to come and find you and yeah. say, please explain. Well, why don't we move on to that? Because you actually yeah. have your list of questions here. I do. And <laughs> I mean, we have, we have, we did speak about it briefly after I watched it. We tried to keep most of yeah, it for yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. So some of my questions have kind of been answered by our discussion, but I think it's still important that I, the questions came up while I was watching it. So, you know, these were things I was thinking as yeah. I was watching it. Um, I really like the opening when um, the narrator says things just happen, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really good start because, you know, some some films try and go, oh, fate and things are so meaningful. And I yeah. like that this is just, you know. Well, yeah, the Discworld version of fate is an ass. <laughs> he's, he's a horrible, horrible really? person who just plays games with people and has no respect. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I mean, I guess the auditors are external to fate and everything. They yes, just... they're, they're, they, they don't require belief to sustain them like mm. the gods of the Discworld do. They just are there. They just exist yeah. and they always They are will part and... of the world. The same way that like death is, death is an anthropomorphised sort of incarnation of death, but death itself would continue to exist without him. Yes, uh, except for that I one guess... time it didn't. But yeah, oh. we can get to that some other time. <laughs> story. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess death is just the way that humans sort of yeah. embody yeah. him in a it's way. A, the auditors don't need that necessarily. That's no. why they're so plain and boring. But now, I mean, this is going off of Hogmanay mm-hmm. now. But now that the auditors are dead. What impact only does, those, that does that have? Only those four auditors are dead. Oh, there's, so there's, there's, there's more. There's infinite number of them. Oh, oh that's all right then. <laughs> um, so, yes, I've written dollars, question mark. Dollars, question mark. Yes, because yeah. they said that their currency was dollars. Ankh-Morpork pork uses dollars. Right. Don't know um, why. What's the exchange rate with? <laughs> <laughs> with British pounds. <laughs> yeah. A dollar, it's given, a lot of impression is given when, when you have Ankh-Morpork pork based books that a dollar is actually quite a lot of money. Oh, really? Like, um, there's one called Night Watch, which is a great book, and mm. I hope there will be a decent adaptation of that. Sometime. They were talking about doing a kind of police procedural procedural thing based on Night Watch, so oh, it would cool. be Terry Pratchett CSI, basically. Wow, that <laughs> would be incredible. Um, but in Night Watch, there's a moment where you can buy a week's worth of meals for a dollar. Oh, okay. Like, so, so it's, is it almost like Victorian times? It is, it way? is. It's very, very Victoriana, very... Mm. Um, I guess it's not quite steampunk because there's not much steam, but later and more pork books are very much. I think someone described it as string punk. I like that. Um, like everything appears to be run off levers and string. <laughs> That's cool. I like that. So yeah, that just the word dollar was not a word I was expecting to hear in this film. I guess so was... it's. Um, I mean, it's it's a very universal currency. Mm. Everyone's going to understand what that means. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Um, so I wrote here, Tea Time and Co. trying to get the Hogfather, but Death finds he is gone. So that's a question that I wrote. <laughs> um, so I think this was in the first half and I was confused because Tea Time is essentially hunting someone who's disappeared. So I was thinking, has Tea Time already got him mm. or has the Hogfather run away? Um, does death know where he is if death does know where yeah. he is why isn't he telling anyone <laughs> um, I think this is part of the whole thing of um, I'm not sure that in the book 
things are happening in the chronological order that we're reading them. Okay. Um, also, there is precedent in the disc world for events of significant magnitude having ripples backwards in time. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is a world where there are pre-annual wines, <laughs> where you get drunk on the wine of a grape that will be planted next year, <laughs> and you get the hangover before you get the... <laughs> wow. <Okay>. So, <laughs> so yeah, so this is, this is one of those weird things of... Um, a regular, a regular Discworld reader would have no trouble with the idea that the events start happening before the course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, again, yeah, it's it's this weird thing of sort of because I I've never yeah. read a Terry Pratchett. I've never I've seen the play of Going Postal, but I feel like that was very that didn't include a lot of mythology. Mm, but Going Postal is very mundane by the yeah, standards of it's, actually, it's a brilliant book and a brilliant adaptation. I love as well. I love the play. Yeah. I mean, I had no prior knowledge and I loved it, but I felt like that was very like uh, self-contained. Mm-hmm. Whereas this alluded to so many other mm-hmm. greater, uh, you know, worldly things that I mean, they could never touch on yeah. all of it. So, um, but yes, I do understand that now. Um, so another one was. Death can grant life. Why didn't he save the Hogfather? Now, though, he, at one point he finds a girl, doesn't he? He finds the matchstick girl. The matchstick of the girl. old Victorian story, basically. And her time is about to run yeah. out, isn't it? And as a present, as a gift to her from the Hogfather, yeah. which he's acting as, yes. <laughs> he fills up her life yeah, timer. Sand timer. Yeah. And so I thought, well, you know... Just give the Hogfather some more life then. <laughs> What's the problem? Um, I think it's that the Hogfather being a anthropological personification, um, his his life is belief. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that death is really the character who can throw belief around. Yeah, He doesn't really have the glands for it, as they say <laughs> repeatedly in the uh, death, <laughs> death episodes. You know, things like um, hope and love and fear and anger take glands, and he's not really big on glands. So. <laughs> well, he hasn't even got any skin or well. muscles. So. <laughs> um, but also, I understand now that he was acting as the Hogfather. Death can't give life, yeah. but the Hogfather could give yeah, presents yeah. and that was his present yes, as the yeah, yeah. but of course at the end when they find the hogfather and defeat the auditors yeah. he's no longer the hogfather at that point yeah, he yeah, is just yeah. death so he can't give life yeah. so yeah at the time i thought come on death stop, <laughs> stop being stingy <laughs> um but now i understand that that's not a power that he possesses no. it's something he does he does do very rarely um, mm. There is one other person that he is that we know he has saved from dying, when, oh. and that person was Susan's father. Oh right! So it's the only other person who was living on borrowed time, as it were. And like, how did he do that? He how just turned he... the lifetime over. Ah, so he can interfere. He can interfere to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. but as yeah. you say, this there isn't, are rules. This isn't straightforward life. Yeah, this is yeah. faith. And... Yeah bigger powers than that um so those are my main questions they're quite big questions um, like what's going on um but i do feel like i now have a much more solid yeah. understanding of it but it's just a shame that i had to come to you to get yeah. that understanding i would have liked to have got it from yeah. the adaptation on its own well yes yeah, so I, th- I think that's always a risk of an adaptation i personally feel that it's the sign of a good adaptation if they can tell an entire story, even if they have to cut out some of the yeah. content. Because um, I've seen some awful book adaptations in my time. <laughs> um, it's like the one that springs to mind was the adaptation of The Other Berlin Girl that I saw. Oh, right. And I got to the end of the 
the, the film and my sister had read the book and as we left the cinema I was just cons- asking questions like what happened to this character what happened to this character what happened to this character oh, really? <laughs> how did she marry again when her, her, she was married before and, yeah, that's and it was just good. all little details that were in the book but they just cut out of the film entirely mm. and it's like that's a bad adaptation you know it's, um, it's funny it's a, it's a weird balance to strike you've almost got two separate jobs mm-hmm. and one of them is ad- adapting the book the other is making a good film and I don't always feel like faithfully adapting a book mm. guarantees especially if it's a good book guarantees a good film yeah, yeah. they are very different art forms with very different pacing and I feel like I mean judging by the IMDB reviews most people think it's a really good adaptation yeah. but that doesn't immediately mean that it's a good film mm-hmm. and so coming from someone who hasn't read the book I wouldn't say it's a really good film mm-hmm. because I didn't get the story yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, it's odd yeah. I mean you know you've read the book and you don't particularly like it no I think it's just it's I find there are little moments in it that kind of break you out of the story mm. it's like they, they almost lost me, lost me right at the start when the narrator says that they're celebrating a festival in Ankhmore Pork which is rather similar to your Christmas and I was just like no <laughs> <laughs> you don't know that we exist yeah. <laughs> who are you and why are you talking to us yeah, I, yeah it's, that's not how this works <laughs> the fourth wall was yeah. shattered the fourth wall broken blown <laughs> apart no <laughs> and then there are just tiny little moments in it like I said, as I said earlier I don't like the adaptation of the auditors because it's it's not hard like mm. it would have actually been less effort to make the auditors yeah, how they the are in the man. book <laughs> saved a lot of money yeah. on casting you know three identical shapes with the same voice that would have been so much less effort but yeah they put more effort into making an, a wrong adaptation yeah. of the auditors it's weird um i also oddly would have quite liked it if they had completely cut off the final sequence with um susan on you know riding the pig saving the hogfather because yeah. i don't think it was necessary like even in it's in the book it's something that Pratchett does you think the end has come and then there's always another bit it's mm. that's just how the books work so you're used to it in a film it did just feel like there was a coda stuck on the end for no real reason so you would reason. have rather that she just arrives back home and yeah and... Uh, I mean it would have been great if it had ended at the moment where um, Susan kills Tia Timey okay. sorry spoilers Susan kills Tia Timey <laughs> <laughs> I thought that would have been a great ending because it's mm. an awesome moment in the book you know, uh, I quite like that moment yeah. in the film as well. You know, he, she invites death in for tea. Um, let's time start again in the book, at least. Um, and then it's four thirty in the morning, so the kids are up and playing with something noisy in there <laughs> from their their you know, hogs watch stockings. Yeah. And then um, tea time comes in, and he's he's sort of kind of tries to hold Susan at knife point with death sword. Um, and then, uh, so he, he invites the kids in. He's like, oh, there are children, let's have them in. And the kids believe, and this is kind of a, an earlier um, sort of throwaway plot point. Mm. The kids believe that the kitchen poker kills monsters. Yes. <laughs> because Susan, um, being the kind of person who can really see the monsters, as opposed to other people who can't normally, um, has basically managed to get them to think that the the, put all of their belief in the poker and because belief is a real physical thing in this world they she now just beats up all the monsters that come into the house <laughs> with the poker so um tea time threatens death with the sword and 
Susan throws the poker through death and into tea time. And it only kills tea time because mm. kids know exactly what a monster is yeah. when they see it. <laughs> and I just thought that's a brilliant moment and it would have been a great ending, a nice moment between death and Susan. Mm. And then the kid, you know, he goes back off on Binky and she gets on with her life. And you know, I know that's not the ending of the book mm. and so I'm sure a lot of people would have been very annoyed but I felt that for an adaptation that's a good ending. Yeah, it's an ending that doesn't ask a lot of questions because uh, because putting that final sequence in means that death has to give like an exposition dump at the end to explain what the hell was going yeah. on. <laughs> an exposition dump is fine in a book, but in an adaptation, you're just like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a little like that last quarter of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> an ending, another yeah. ending. Um, yeah, that moment was really cool when yeah. when the poker goes through death and. And Susan goes, how did you know? And, you know, Death goes, well, I just, yeah. you know, knew that yeah. it would work out. And it's a really good moment because you hate tea time and you're like, yes, die tea time. Yeah. Like you say, it kind of speaks for itself. There's no questions. It just is what it is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I agree. It would have been a really good closing point. Yeah. Whether they could have somehow um, slightly switched the order, maybe, maybe. to save the Hogfather and then they kill tea time. I don't know. Maybe. I think it's just like you saying an adaptation is a tricky thing. Yeah. And it is a it is quite a faithful adaptation. I'm just not sure that Terry Pratchett's style of writing really suited a direct translation into mm. um into film. But that is a shame. I can see why they started with this one. Um they also have done The Colour of Magic, which is the first Pratchett mm-hmm. Discworld novel and is sort of it's one of those weird situations of if 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 anyone who hasn't read Pratchett says where should I start? Most people will say, don't start with The Colour of Magic. Oh, really? <laughs> it's the first book, but don't start with The Colour of okay. Magic. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's, he wasn't quite in his stride. It's this weird thing where Discworld started as a parody of 1980s genre fiction. Really? That's sort of 1980s <laughs> fantasy fiction. And so, um, basically, that first story isn't really a self-contained story. It's a series of little vignettes it's a okay. it's a it's rinse wind and two flower who are some two of the some of the best characters ever but uh rinse wind and two flower kind of stumbling from one disaster to another <laughs> um for no real great purpose and then there's this um they're like fantastic it's kind of the second half of the same story it was mm. next novel um and they suddenly kind of throw in this great world ending catastrophe type thing to kind of explain everything away. Um well not to explain everything away, but it just suddenly they drop a climax into everything and okay. they have to have a whole other book to go fix it. <laughs> um and yeah, I think it's like I can see why they wanted to do it again as an mm-hmm. adaptation, but it did not work particularly well. Okay. And they had poor David Jason as Rincewind, because David Jason is obviously in, in yes, The Hogfather yes. as Albert, um, Death's manservant. It was surprising, actually, he was such a side character, because being such a big name yeah. in British TV, I mean, he was on screen a fair amount, but I thought he'd be one of the main... Yeah, well, the thing, the thing is, um, David Jason is a massive Pratchett fan, <laughs> um, and he just wanted to be in the film. Uh, so they got him the part of... He he played Albert. Actually, mm-hmm. I think he did a reasonably good job as Albert. Yeah. Like that's a pretty good adaptation <laughs> of Albert. De- uh, Death and Albert. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Their yeah. scenes were great. I like. Um, but in Color of Magic, he's playing Rincewind, and Color of Magic was quite a few years later. Mm-hmm. And you know, David Jason is not the youngest man in the world, even in like two thousand and nine. <laughs> And uh, basically, it's like Rincewind spends a lot of that story running. Oh, really? <laughs> and, it's like, and he just kind of couldn't 
do it. Oh no. And it's a real shame because it's like if they'd made the adaptation back in the 80s somewhere, he would have been perfect for oh, it. That's a shame. But how does that work with um, having two characters in the Discworld universe played by the same uh, actor? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Just don't ask questions. Because <laughs> I think Tony Robinson might be in Colour oh, really? of Magic as well, actually. I can't remember. Um, but then the third adaptation that they've done is Going Postal. Mm-hmm. And Going Postal is a much more generic story. I've, I've, I've said this I said this in Elantris, I use the word generic far too much. Generic does not mean bad. <laughs> no, no, it just means sort of yeah. conventional. Conventional. I and mean, Going Postal is, um, it's kind of the end of a series of books that um, have been gradually growing the technology of the world and kind of the world has moved on from mm. the era of Rincewind. And um, just the the, the the technologies that they have access to is very different now. So they're like radio pylons and things. They're, well, they're, they're called and... they're semaphore towers. They okay. use semaphore. Um, like I said, it's string punk. Everything is lights and string and levers. Um, but going postal is a story of um, a con artist who gets roped into running Ankh-Morpork's royal post office. <laughs> Um, a job which has killed the last three incumbents in mysterious circumstances, <laughs> <laughs> and so it's it's a much more um, a much more conventional story style, and the acting in it is incredible, and they throw their heart and soul into it, and it's it's a real kind of slightly not quite steampunk Victorian world, so it doesn't need any explanation. Yeah. And the storytelling is in every frame of that, and we'll have to have to show it to you. Oh at some yeah, point. I really want to see. You it. know everything. Like they put so much love into just like. The, the posters in the background and oh, stuff awesome. that tell you so much about the story and the world around it. Um, and I think in Going Postal, they, they got it right. And it was the right story to do because mm. Moist von Lipwig, who is the main character of the amazing name. <laughs> of Going Postal, is just a fantastic character and was played really well by an actor who I currently can't remember the name of. Sorry, <laughs> right, you can add it in later. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just be in silence with like... Brrr. Moist von Lipwig was played by Richard Coyle. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and um, it was it was awesome and a much better Discworld adaptation. Still felt like the Discworld, but mm. was a, a a good solid story. And I that's the one that I will watch just because I want something to watch. So is um, the conclusion that he is unadaptable in the film? Oh, he resisted medium. it for a very long time. I mean, um, I have two of the animated adaptations on DVD. Mm-hmm. I've got Soul Music and Weird Sisters. And Soul Music is a, it's a good adaptation. It's not bad, but it's so long. <laughs> and Soul Music is a shorter book than this, oh, than really? Hogfather. So it doesn't need to be that long. Well, but it's, it's absolutely word for word faithful. Wow. Um, the animation style is not incredible. Um mm. There's a little bit of the rubber arms going on with <laughs> all the characters. Hey, it's all the rage in yeah. the vegetable. Yeah. <laughs> but um But yeah, it's it is it is a long undertaking watching one of those adaptations. Weird Sisters I think is slightly shorter, uh, but has some great voice acting in that as well, because it's is, the three um, witches. Is the Weird Sisters in Harry Potter, the band, a reference to Pratchett? Then? I have no idea, there's maybe. A, yeah, there's well, a, no, they play mean, at the ball. Weird, Weird Sisters is a reference to Shakespeare. Ah. Okay. Oh, the three. Yeah, the three. Wi- in, the three witches. Um, so, and um, the story of Weird Sisters is basically a Shakespearean play. It's okay. it's <laughs> it's a it's massive rip off of like Macbeth and um, a bit of Hamlet thrown in there and stuff. And why not? <laughs> I think that's why that was one of the first ones to be adapted into a stage play. And uh, from what I understand, a very successful stage play. I've okay. never actually seen it, mm. but I'd love to one day. It's yeah. not often put on those. <laughs> I think plays can run a bit longer than films as well, mm. um, especially TV films that appeal to 
all ages. Mm. You can't have anything running longer than two hours. Kids just won't sit through it. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd really want to read The Hogfather now. Well, that's good. So that that's going to be my can, next question. Yeah, <laughs> so that I can compare it to yeah. the adaptation because I think there's so much sort of ground level yeah. knowledge that I need to fill in. Yeah. You know, if you're going to read uh, Terry Pratchett, if you're going to read The Discworld, there are many, many websites out there that will delightedly tell you all the different orders you can read it in. <laughs> Um, my general recommendation for anyone trying to read Discworld is say find a character that you like mm. and then read everything pertaining to that character I like that idea because um, there are little mini series within the series or you mm. could start with a standalone like some of them what's called like the small gods series is actually a series of completely standalone stories mm-hmm. starring characters that only appear once and then are maybe referenced in later books but generally it's just you know one contained story yeah um so yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's an undertaking becoming mm-hmm. a Discworld fan, um, but sadly, at least we know the stories are never going to get any longer. Yes, yes, that is sad. I feel like um, I should have made more of you know Terry Pratchett while he was in the world in terms of reading his stuff, and I even had the opportunity to meet him once at mm. the going postal play that I went to see. He went and watched and gave it a big thumbs up. So that was you know mm. well, that's good. always a good yeah. you know mark when the when the author likes it. But um, yeah, no, it's sad, but I hope that if I become a Pratchett fan, he'll live on. Yeah. And it's not like he wasn't bloody prolific. You've got, oh yeah, you've got plenty to keep you going. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Novels uh, in the Discworld? The latest one was called Shepherd's Crown. Yeah. Um, that was actually only published just a couple of months ago. Oh, really? Um, I think I want to say that's the 31st. Wow, okay. I actually don't know that. I might have to look that up. Look, I'll, I'll, make, a, I'll <laughs> make another blurp noise and I'll fill it in. With... <laughs> Shepherd's Crown is the 41st Discworld novel. Well, at my current rate of reading books, that will last me up until about 60 then. (laughs) But then there's also, I mean, obviously he didn't just write Discworld. He did write a lot of other things like um, there's Strata and Dark Side of the Sun. And then there's the whole Digger's Wings trilogy. And he co-authored stuff as well. Uh, He co-authored a lot of stuff. Um, Good Omens, very good. Mm -hmm. Co-authored with um, Neil Gaiman. Mm -hmm. And actually, I believe last year, the radio adaptation of... um, Good Omens, starring, actually, very briefly, Neil Gaiman and Terry Pratchett. Oh, might wow. have been his last appearance, I think, in oh, that. cool. Oh, there's yeah. so much to delve into. Oh, yeah, you've got plenty <laughs> to keep yourself busy. <laughs> but, yeah, um, I think that's all yeah. for today. Yeah. So, thank you, Ali, for joining me in the second chair. My pleasure. And uh, we are at Big Punch Studios. We are. We are. Uh, we are hoping we will be making more and more of these podcasts Definitely. and videos. So be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel to keep updated on what we come out, what comes out. And um, if you like what you hear, everything we do is supported by our Patreons at patreon.com slash Studios. Please do check it out. And uh, cheery bye, everybody. Bye. bye.